Are you young? Do those around you know your past? Have you screwed it up so many times before? How can you gain the confidence required to rule your kingdom when your past is littered with failure? Dream. Believe. Achieve. When you are ready to level up 1720, the podcast for next level Christians. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Now, now we're back. Now we're back. Now we're back for real. Here we are. Yeah. So um, here at 1720, we have developed uh, what we call the triple aim for next level Christians. Uh, it's to help orient themselves on what God wants and expects from us. The triple aim is to be a Christ-centered, legacy-minded king. This week, I was pondering the last part of that aim, kingship. In particular, I was wondering where we find our kingship in the Bible and why most of us really honestly don't feel like kings. And if we are kings, what is our mandate? Is it something we can just skip? Can we be passive in life? Um, And finally, how should we get started in our journey to kingship? So I thought I would take today's podcast and explore some of these concepts and see what the Bible has to say about our kingship. You know, like us, perhaps you have always felt like an outsider. Perhaps your dreams always exceed your grasp. Maybe you often feel depressed about your progress and frustrated with your self-control or lack thereof. Would it surprise you to know that you are in good company? You are in the company of David Solomon. You are in the company of kings. In fact, you were created to join these kings and assume your kingship and rule over your kingdom. Like kings of the past, your throne is not yours because of something you have done. It could not be earned by you. Your kingdom is not a democracy. You were not voted into office based on your popularity, education, or merits. Your kingship is inherited. It is the result of your heavenly father's authority and power. He selected you before your birth to be here at this time with these resources. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. You were made in the image of the ultimate king. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You were made in the image of God. You were also made to rule all of creation. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, it says, God has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. In this verse, the Greek term for kingdom is Basileon, and it is defined as kingdom, sovereignty, and royal power. Perhaps you struggle with porn. You may be addicted to the adoration of others. You may find it difficult to make ends meet. Perhaps you can't even hold your marriage together. You don't feel much like a king. Sometimes you don't even feel worthy to be called a human. But these are all old stories. They are all a part of an old identity that you are hanging on to. We were all assigned our kingdoms at the foundation of the world in Eden. But sin has placed us all in exile. 
We have been serving as slaves in a foreign land, a land we were never designed to be in. You may recall the story of the prodigal son. He was in line to inherit a portion of his father's power and riches. All he had to do was wait. Impatient and immature, he demanded his inheritance and went out into the world. The Bible says the son went to a distant country where he spent all his money on wild living. Now, why a distant country? Perhaps because he rejected his identity. He wanted to go where he would not be known, far from the watch and judging eye of his father. Wild living in the Bible times is no different than that of today. We can rightly assume it included drunkenness and sexual immorality. In short order, the son was separated from his fortune. He traded his inheritance for poverty and was forced to hire himself out as a slave. Feeding pigs in the field of his master, he was so hungry. He wanted to eat as well as the pigs were eating. But the Bible says no one would give him anything. Like that son, God has given us a royal inheritance. He has made us kings. In our arrogance, we have all chosen to chart our own path, to make our own way. We took our inheritance and fled to a land where no one would know us, a place where we would not be judged by the standards of our fathers. As a result, we have existed day to day among people who don't share our values and beliefs. We have been influenced by their standards. We have shared in their compromise. The gods of this foreign land have names like Angelina Jolie, Joe Rogan, Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman. We have accepted the stories they tell us. We are not rich enough. We are not pretty enough. We are not enough. As slaves in this land, we have little control over our fate. We feast on foods of the flesh, foods that delight the eye and are good to taste, but do nothing to nourish the bodies. Our bellies are full, but we are starving. Somewhere, memories of our father's house linger, but it is more than a memory. Our father whispers to our spirit. He keeps us from feeling at home in this foreign land. With each new achievement, each new purchase, and each new relationship, we should be satisfied, but we're not. The whisper calls to us. It reminds us that something is wrong with this place that we don't belong, that our bellies are not full, that we are hungry for something this land cannot provide. The voice of our Father calls us from slavery. He calls us back into kingship. He loves us so much that He allowed us, His most prized possession, to eat with pigs. He ignored our prayers asking to make this land satisfy us. He allowed us to go to rock bottom. He does whatever it takes to get us back. You need only to turn your back on this land and head back to your father's house. This will require you to swallow your pride. You will have to accept that your will is flawed. You must learn humility and accept the will of your father. You may fear he will hold your mistakes over your head. With each step toward home, you formulate and work on your plan. You will trade your kingship to just be a slave in your father's house. You know that being a slave in your father's house is better than being a king in a foreign land. You have the whole conversation laid out. You will work for his approval. 
you will show him you are worthy. It will be hard, but you will do anything to work off your debt. As you approach the house, you can see a man approaching. Will you be turned away? The Bible says that your father, he's been looking for you. Each day he watched the horizon for your return, hoping against hope, praying that you were not lost forever. You begin the speech you have rehearsed. You hope the words will erase all the evils you have participated in, the lust, self-indulgent, waste, and shame. Eyes cast to the ground, you manage to mutter, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. To your surprise, your father's eyes are not filled with disgust. Instead, he orders his servants to clothe you in the finest robes and to prepare a feast. Our heavenly father is not waiting to punish us. He is wanting to return us to glory. His only goal is that we return as soon as possible and get on with being a king over our kingdoms. No matter where we are or what we have done, God is ready to restore us to our kingship. While we have been slaves in a foreign land and serving foreign kings, he has prepared a kingdom for us. He has defined a place for us. He has a job for us. All we have to do is humble ourselves, accept our new identity in Christ, and begin to rule as a good king. So what does it mean to be a good king? And exactly what are you ruling over? Let's start by exploring the second question first. Most people think the kingdom in question is heaven, and the foreign land that we have been talking about is the earth. While it is true there is a kingdom in heaven, it is not the kingdom you were designed to rule over. Your kingdom is here on earth. The foreign land is any place where you are serving under a king that is not your heavenly father. Your earthly kingdom is anything you impact or influence. Even if you're flipping burgers, that burger is your kingdom. If you run a Fortune 500 company, that company is your kingdom. Your marriage is your kingdom. Your home is your kingdom. Your spiritual practice is your kingdom. Your body is your kingdom. Your bank balance, that's your kingdom's treasury. And no matter what you have been initially entrusted with, no matter what age you are now or what level of success you have achieved, it is not God's intention to leave us where we are. He does not want us to just, quote, maintain the status quo of our kingdoms. He has much bigger plans, and as a king, we have a critical role to play. To better understand the mandate to grow our kingdom, let's take some literal liberties with the parable of the talents, which can be found in its original form in Luke 15, 11-32. In our version of the story, God has entrusted several kings with his property. To one, he gave $5 billion. To another, he gave $2 billion. And to another one, $1 billion. God gave according to the demonstrated ability of each king. The king who had received the $5 billion went at once and traded with them, and he made $5 billion more. The king who had the $2 billion, he made $2 billion more. But the king who had received the $1 billion went and built a vault and stored God's possessions. After a while, there was an accounting. And he who had received the $5 billion came forward, 
bringing five billion more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five billion dollars. Here, I have made five billion more. God said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had two billion dollars came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two billion dollars. Here, I have made two billion more. And God said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received one billion dollars came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a demanding God. You don't like to waste your resources. So I stored the resources you gave me so that I could return them to you as you left them with me. God answered the king, You wicked and slothful servant. You know I don't like to waste resources. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. I am forced to take the money from you and give it to him who has the $10 billion. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This parable makes it clear. If we don't grow our kingdoms, God will give the resources he has allotted to us to someone who will. There is a famous quote attributed to several different famous men, but originates in 1867 and is by John Stuart Mills. It basically states, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is that good men do nothing. God's plan to eradicate evil from the world is simple. Good kings expanding their kingdom until God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants good kingdoms to grow, and he will allot more and more resources to the kingdoms that are. So, if you were hoping to tuck money away into your 401k and cruise into that retirement, you are very mistaken. And as you advocate your generational responsibilities, you risk losing not only what you have, but also the inheritance of your children's children. While you are a king by bloodline, the size and quality of your kingdom is your responsibility. Perhaps you are starting with a broken kingdom. Perhaps you are in debt. Perhaps your old identity has proven destructive and you have abused your resources. Maybe you have a failing marriage or kids that don't even know you. You may be young and your kingdom consists only of a crappy car and an overpriced apartment. No matter the case, your mandate is the same. You must rule and grow your kingdom. No matter where you find yourself, the first step is to seek wisdom. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, to make good decisions, you must first trust that God's will is good, and then know what His will is for your life. This is not something you can do in the moment. If you are at the point of decision and you have not acquired this wisdom, it's too late. To be a good king, you must study the word in advance. Are you young 
Do those around you know your past? Have you screwed it up so many times before? How can you gain the confidence required to rule your kingdom when your past is littered with failure? Here again, the answer is to seek wisdom. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, by seeking the wisdom in the word of the Lord, you will learn to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And in doing so, you will not have to lean on your own understanding. When you submit yourself to the wisdom of the Lord, you can have bold confidence in all your decisions because He will be supernaturally making your paths straight. Seeking wisdom is the first step to becoming a good king. To supplement your understanding of the wisdom found in the word of the Lord, a good king also seeks and takes wise counsel. The Bible has a lot to say in this topic. Here's just a few verses from the book of Proverbs. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel, as Proverbs 12.15. Through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel, as Proverbs 13.10. Listen to counsel and accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days, as Proverbs 19.20. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and an abundance of counselors there is victory. That's Proverbs 24.6. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. That's Proverbs 15.22. As you can see, your very survival depends on gathering a group of men for men and a group of women for women, who you seek regular counsel Like wisdom, relationships with advisors must be built in advance of your decisions. But who should you allow to speak into your life and provide you with counsel? First and foremost, they must be Christians. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Bible says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do the righteous and wicked have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? While the Christian moniker does not guarantee inclusion in your advisors, it is clearly a minimum requirement. David ponders a similar question in Psalms 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these will never be shaken." You are going to bring to your advisors your most difficult questions and problems. You want a group of men or women who will not be shaken. Consider the virtues above and begin your search. If you are not finding anyone traveling in your circles who fits the bill, consider traveling in different circles. Lay the issue at God's feet. Pray that God prompts you as to what actions to take and then follow His prompts. God will not leave your request unanswered. So, 
you were made to be a king or ruler over your kingdom. The reasons you don't feel like a king today is because you were serving in a foreign land. It is time to return to your father's house and take your rightful place as ruler over your kingdom. Once you have returned, start by reading the book of Proverbs, also known as the book of wisdom. Then pray that God will prompt you in the action needed to assemble your advisory group. Remember, you cannot advocate your responsibility to your kingdom. If you do, you can expect what you have now to be taken from you and given to a king who will. This is our mandate as Christians. If we accept this calling, we have the opportunity to change the world and change the world's view of Christianity and thus fulfill the Great Commission. Thanks for spending this time with us. If you have not already, subscribe to our podcast and remember to leave us a review on iTunes and Google Play. Each positive review raises our rank and exposes this content to people who probably would not normally hear it. You can find links to all of our social media pages, YouTube channels, iTunes, and Google Play at 1720.org forward slash podcast. That is also a great way to share our content with anyone you think would benefit from it. Finally, be sure to follow our page on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash 1720.org. And be sure to put the .org in there and subscribe to our newsletter at 1720.org. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week.